You are listening to the Alouette's Flight Deck, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. All right, folks, we've been clear for takeoff. Flight Deck podcast dedicated to Montreal Alouettes football. I am Tim Capper, along with Cliffy D. Hey, bud, what's up? Hey, hey, hey! Yellowwoods are streaking again. I know, man. I know. Let's. It's. To, hopefully, everything goes well. We can. We can get this thing to four. It would be nice. Oh my gosh, a four-game winning streak. That that sounds good. Yes, I, I, I like the sound of that. We don't want to get ahead of each other. Don't no. want to get ahead. Don't want to get ahead. But it, it's nice having the. Uh, Having a currently the three game three game winning streak, something that we have had uh, only once in the past five years. Um, so yeah, yeah. Let's uh, and uh, and hey, Cliff, we got in a full sixty minutes. <laughs> we sure did. This compared to the last home game that we were at, the weather was much nicer. And it yeah, was we- cooler though. I was like, oh man, this is early September. It's like I don't need to be wearing this stuff. I know we're expecting maybe a possibility possibility of rain, but it never never you know came to fruition. But I was like, I don't. It's beginning September. I don't want to. Yeah, it's it's still summertime. I don't care if you've got your friggin' pumpkin spice lattes or whatever out, people. But <laughs> it's still summertime. Yeah. Until September twenty second, it is freaking summertime still. That's right. I know we're all back to school. We're all back to work, and you know some people are coming out here wearing puffy jackets and all that nonsense. I'm like. Get no, no, hard no. This is hey, ridiculous. Hey, it's I will still wear, summer. Dude, yeah, dude, if it's 16 degrees outside in the morning before I go to work, and I know it's supposed to get to 20 some odd, I'm like, screw it. I'm wearing shorts, and I'll wear a sweatshirt. You know, maybe I'll rep my team with my, with my Alowitz hoodie or whatnot. But you know what? It's like I'm still wearing shorts. I'm not giving it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, full 60 minutes. Uh, that's exactly what was needed for this game. Uh, is a full 60 minutes. Um, but the Alouettes did come away with a very hard-fought 21-16 win over the uh, very, uh, over the struggling BC Lions. Um, I know last week we were mentioning how this game could possibly be a trap game. Oh, it was... We weren't far off, or at least I wasn't far off when I saw this. But I was like, ooh, man. It, it, it was just very, very close, and it just seemed that you know, we talk about how, and we've seen how the Alouettes during the year have basically been a fantastic uh, second half team. Well, this was the second half of the second half <laughs> that they finally came alive and were able to to uh, to get this win. But they, they just it just seemed that they went a little bit dormant. But uh, yeah, very close to being that trap game that we were so worried about. Mm-hmm. It, it really felt to me more often than not that they were doing just enough to win. I mean, they did. Give them credit. They did not relinquish the lead at all. No, but no. we, it, I still got the impression that you had to fight for this win. And like it was just way too close for comfort against a BC team that, I'm sorry, is not – just like the Toronto Argonauts, they're not as bad as their record indicates. I mean, I, I know the expression, you are what your record says you are. And 
on the surface, yeah, this has all makes it be a bad team. But I looked at, uh, like, for example, the, the offensive line was supposed to be a dog's breakfast. And they actually did, for the most part, a pretty good job of keeping Mike Riley upright and letting him do work. Mm-hmm. Uh, those two massive quarterback sacks by John Bowman notwithstanding. But uh, by and large, this offensive line, uh, from what I saw, I don't know if it was just Montreal was just sort of playing it safe and not really giving it 100%, but on defense, but I mean, this offensive line is not, didn't look as bad to me as what it had in previous games for the Lions. So I'm, like I said, I'm just baffled as to how things could be this close uh, as far as the score goes. No, I, I know. And I, and the only thing I could think of too, is that it, maybe if the game had been, if for both teams, it was, they were post by. And that was really my only thought was, could this have been, could, could that really have been a factor? And, and that, that's, what I, that's, really, that's what I'm wondering, Cliff, because, you know, the, the Owls in their history from bye weeks, the, they have not done very well at all. At all. Um, I mean, coming into this game, they lost six straight games after a bye. So, you know. Yeah, this had, this had potential to be ugly. And that was, again, a, a big concern of ours last week was just how was Montreal going to do coming off the bye? Uh were they going to be ready to go? Were they going to still maintain that momentum? Or did that week off kind of slow them in their tracks a little bit? So I'd say it's a little bit of both, to be honest with you. I, I really felt, felt like they wanted to be better. They wanted to prove that they weren't going to be that team, the one that was just going to you know come out flat and just not play well. But at the same time, like there's just it wasn't quite that uh, explosive team that we've come to see over the past couple of weeks or the like, – yeah, they had the, the fight to keep that win. Like they, it wasn't quite the cardiac kids that we've seen over the past couple of weeks. But uh, I, I really got the impression like they were doing just enough to survive. And I, I, I mean, on the surface, they they should have been uh, able to handle this BC Lions team. But it really comes out like what 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 was it like? Were they just is this BC Lions team better than their record indicates, or were the Alouettes just sort of? I don't want to say taking them for granted, but maybe just not quite giving 100% as far as you know, trying to beat them convincingly. So I guess uh, you know, only only the players can answer that question. But I mean, they they did what they had to do. They got the win. Uh, the Alouettes are now sitting at six and four, which uh, is incredible. I mean, the I mean, the last time this team was six and four, it's it's been a while. So it, it has been a while. I, how, how, how do you how do you not get excited about that, folks? I mean, and now we're getting into the second half of this season, and it's not going to be easy. So the, the fact that Montreal was able to steal this win, ugly as it was, they all count in the standings, as I've said numerous times. But now some real tests are are beginning, and it's it even starts uh, this coming Saturday against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Yep, twenty twelve was the last time that the Alouettes were six and four. That's a, that's a long time, dude. <laughs> That is a long time. Yeah, they, they were that, that two games up above 500. But, you know, it's, yeah. Um, yeah, I was looking at the game, and it's like, oh, you know, so, you know, again, the Alouettes, for the third time and second game in a row, that they didn't score any points in the first quarter. But then again, they also held BC to no points also. So it was, you know, it was, it was a, uh, uh, you know, it, it was a, a perfect quarter, I guess we could say. Um, even though no points were scored on our end either, but still they, they held them scoreless. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I looked at the game and I, I, again, I'm going to the fact that I think it had to do everything to do with the bye week. And I think it showed in a couple of things. I mean, Vernon Adams was not his best. 
It's it's like the the Vernon Adams that we've been seeing in the past couple of these you know these games where we've come back didn't catch up to him until that fourth quarter drive, and that was mm. one that was for the winning drive, and that was one hell of a drive. That was I, I, again I talk about it so many times about how. Vernon and this offense, just especially in the second half, they just flip the switch, and then all of a sudden, everything falls into place or snaps into place, and this becomes a, a well-oiled machine. And that's what that drive was, because again, you're down by or leading by one, I should say. I mean, you, ha- I, I said, you have to make a statement here. You have to establish your your dominance again, and that's what Vernon did. Like he just uh, after he after the Alwes got the ball back, he just went to work and just marched down the field and just used his receivers. You stand back in a, a, a terrific way. Like he, he mixed up the offense. Like I really felt during that drive, BC zigged when they should have zagged and they just had no response for the Alouettes at that point. And just leading all the way to Quan Bray getting a, yet another touchdown. Uh, I mean, that, that drive itself, I think was just, it was a thing of beauty. And the Alouettes at that point finally realized, Hey, we are that team. We are that team that's going to come in. We're going to play our asses off, mm-hmm. and we're going to we're going to come out of the. Like, this is a game that last year Montreal would have found ways to lose this game, but instead it became a matter of finding ways to win this game, yeah. and that's exactly what they did. They responded when they had to, and then the defense took over. They stopped Mike Riley. They stopped this uh, potentially dangerous offense for the BC Lions. Shut them right down when they had to, and. They got the win. That's that's what matters. Is they got the win. It wasn't pretty, but they did what they had to do. And as I said, like, this has to be. Uh, I'm hoping a bit of a wake up call for the Alouettes, yeah. knowing that they could have just as easily pissed this game away, and they didn't. So this shows that they know what they're doing. It shows that they are capable of winning games that they're supposed to be doing. And now the real the real work has begun. Like if you want to call this a gimme game, so be it. But now the real work against some of the top teams in the CFL is going to be getting underway this past month. And as far as I'm concerned, Montreal has no choice but to be ready to to step up and meet their opponents well, and be at their to. level. They have to. they got no buys left either. So. Yep. so, I mean, every game counts now. As far as I'm concerned, Montreal has to be in playoff mode. Mm-hmm. Even though the playoffs are still a good month and a half away, Montreal has to have that mindset of every game counts. Every you got to be playing for your playoff life for, with every single game. Yeah. Um, one of the things that, you know, the Alouettes were up 14 nothing, and this is, this is I think, where it kind of concerned me um, that, that the team, re- in my opinion, the team just didn't seem to be all there. And they may have been prepared, but they, they, weren't, able to, they weren't able to execute. Um, was on the, on the Burnham long touchdown that made it 14-7 right before halftime, well, right before the, the Alouettes had their final drive, is how Burnham just bounced off of, of Greg Reed. I mean, literally just bounced off of Greg Reed and his, and his attempted tackle. It, it looked bad on film, in my opinion. It looked bad on, in person. But I think that's how, to me, I said that was one, that was one way that I saw that this game was not going to be your typical game where it was going to be the high scoring. Again, it was two teams that were struggling. Uh, one team was, as I said, was, has only one win on the year. One team is finally seemed to be getting over that hump. But it, it just didn't – to me, that's the one play. And then the next drive itself sort of typified uh, what, what, the, what the league – what the game actually was. I mean, because on the Vernon pick in the end zone, uh, I mean, you verified it for me before we started the show, you know, that that ball was tipped. But then again, mm-hmm. as you pointed out to me, 
is that Posey also seemed to have messed up on his route. So there were still a lot of mistakes going on in that first half, and it, it was, I was nice to see that the team was able to finally get it going. Might have been out from the gun uh, from, from the get-go of the second half, but at least the fourth quarter, they were able to finally get it going. Yeah, it's just taking care of the little things. And uh, again, I'm willing to give them a bit of a mulligan because, yeah, they just came out the bye week, and maybe they just weren't quite there yet. But, I mean, like, if you play like this against any other team, you're going to get owned. And uh, whether it's just a matter of the BC Lions just not being that team this year, that like not being, I don't want to say competitive, but, I mean, once they get down, it's it, they've got to work twice as hard to get back to a, a level of respectability. And it just, it just wasn't there on this past Friday night. So... I think Montreal was kind of playing to them a little bit as far as like playing down to their level where it should be, they should be playing at their own level and trying to get BC up to theirs. But again, it is what it is. I, I just hope these are like just these minor mental mistakes that happen typically after a bye week. And now they're back in the swing of things. I'm hoping that uh, those little mistakes are very correctable and hopefully they learn like, okay, now you got to actually make tackles. Now you got to run your routes properly and, as quarterback, you've also got to make sure that uh, you make your reads properly. And I, again, there's nothing wrong with the throw other than the fact that, yes, it was tipped. But at the same time, too, there, there's just that little, uh, I guess, stutter step of uh, miscommunication. And again, it happens. And I, I guess it's better to just get that out of the way now and focus on what's coming ahead. And uh, what, what can you say? It it happens sometimes. Like, yeah. just... You know, you can sit and whine about it, but you know what? At the end of the day, Montreal got the win. They did what they had to do, and uh, now they, they've got a big test ahead of them uh, this Saturday against the Riders. Yeah. Uh, but for the game itself, I mean, the game is basically was very evenly matched. I mean, uh, 331 total yards for the Alouettes, 325 for the BC Lions, uh, 21-20 for, for first downs. Um, uh, rushing was almost even. So it was just basically the same across the board. It just, just happened when... Uh, when the when the Alouettes were able to do what they did, and, and it's obviously for them, it was it was in the fourth quarter to extend their lead and be able to stop BC. Uh, you know, on that last drive, uh, two was it two major sacks on that drive uh, in the fourth quarter that was able to, to secure the game. And uh, again, the team is six and four. Um, so for the game itself, as we're talking about uh, Vernon Adams, stuff like that, I want to hear, by the way, what you found out when you went on the field uh, post-game, Cliff. Um, but uh, Vernon Adams, I mean, it was 18-25, to 25, you know, 232, uh, pick and a touchdown. Uh, but, 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 I'm saying it three times, <laughs> Vernon Adams also set a team record for rushing touchdowns by a quarterback with two, uh, sorry, uh, with his two tu- two rushing touchdowns, he has set uh, a team record of ten. And Cliff, we are only at, we are only at game ten. We have eight more to go. He is within uh, he is within four of tying Doug Flutie for the CFL record for most rushing touchdowns by a quarterback in a single season. So he has a shot. He has a very good shot at at at, uh, at catching Flutie and uh, and and setting an overall record uh, for rushing touchdowns. So, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, go ahead. I, I I said it before, and I've said it to his face. I've said it behind his back. I'll say it a, a whole bunch of times. That's my mother. 
quarterback. <laughs> yes. Yes. Now, obviously, uh, oh, by the way, uh, for receiving the, the, the leading receiver for the Alouettes um, was, uh, was Devere Posey with 59 yards. Uh, uh, Winicky had 42, Quanbrae 24, but they are a very hard fought and very well needed 24, considering that he was basically a ghost in the first half. Uh, Stanback also had 55, and Eugene Lewis had 44. One of the big things that came across came out of this game, though, Cliff, was the loss of Jeremiah Johnson. Didn't see much at the time, but then we find out that he is a concussion under concussion protocol, and we will not have him this week versus the Riders. Yeah, just uh, unfortunate because uh, he's been such a pleasant surprise all season. We knew what we were getting with William Stanback, and then the rest of the league kind of kind of got wind after a couple of his uh, outstanding performances. But then when Stanback goes down to injury, what do you do? You call in the insurance policy, and that's exactly what I consider Jeremiah Johnson to be. And he is he has answered the call every single time. Uh, to be a part of this uh, incredibly talented backfield, I mean, uh, what I was really impressed with, at least uh, as far as last Friday goes, was the fact that both Stanback and Johnson were both getting reps. They were both getting. Uh, uh, chances to touch the ball before uh, Johnson got hurt. Yeah. Uh, just part of this offense is just uh, keeping keeping everybody guessing. I mean, obviously you're going to be game planning for William Stanback because dude's a beast, and, and he proved it again on, on uh, this past Friday. But you cannot sleep on Jeremiah Johnson, and I, I'm, I sincerely hope this injury, this concussion, it's just a, a one or two game thing because. Uh, also, Ryder Stone, our other running back, is on the uh, six-game injured list. Oh, oh, that's right. Forgot about that. Yep. So, uh, I mean, as far as uh, running back goes, uh, I, 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 I sincerely hope that, uh, especially against uh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders, that they don't abandon the run just because potentially only Stanback or uh, Christoph Norman are going to be in the backfield or uh, or even Spencer Moore. Uh, I mean, like, again, these are both uh, very viable options, but... Uh, I wonder if just with this injury to Johnson, like just how that's going to affect the idea of keeping the ball on the ground. Uh, once again, I, I, I have no doubt in my mind that uh, Kahari Jones has a few tricks up his sleeve. Uh, we've seen time and time again just how varied this offense can be at times. Uh, but uh, yeah, definitely not having uh, Jeremiah in the lineup is uh, a bit of a setback, but uh, I still think Montreal is just going to find a way to adjust accordingly like they've done all season long. It's it's the next man up mentality. And uh, who knows, maybe this is going to be the opportunity that uh, a guy like Normand or Spencer Moore is going to need to really showcase what they can do in the backfield for the Alouettes. Right. But also from what I was reading in, uh, from uh, on today on social media, it's very possible with him being hurt. Um, it's very possible the Owls may only go with a te- with a technically one running back and uh, bringing Chris Matthews to have his uh, Alouettes debut. Well, there, there is definitely a possibility. And uh, Lord knows if you can find a way to get Chris Williams into the, or Chris Matthews into the lineup, uh, you got to do it because the guy is an ex- explosive playmaker. We haven't seen a, a whole lot of that in Winnipeg this year, but uh, I, I'm really curious to see just how he's going to slot in with this offense. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's a case of the rich getting richer because this Alouette's receiving score has really done work this season. Uh, not just Devere Posey and Eugene Lewis, but guys like Quan Bray and Jake Winecki. Uh Now you're going to add Chris Matthews into that, in that equation? Whew. Man, it, it's definitely going to be very exciting. And 
Yeah. But again, I I just can't stress enough that you cannot abandon the run. No, 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 I don't think they will. I don't think they will. But it it will be interesting. We have still got a couple of days, as he said, you know, either Murray Lawrence or, uh, you know, the possibility of of, uh, Javon Williams, uh, you know, being activated. Well, we'll find out. I don't think this team will go with just one running back. I'd be stunned, quite frankly, because God forbid if uh, Stanback gets hurt, like uh, I, then what do you do? Yeah. No. So uh, yeah, yeah. I, I again, I, I'm obviously concerned, obviously for Jeremiah, but uh, as far as the actual on-field product goes, I I have complete faith in what uh, Coach Jones is going to do and uh, how he's going to adjust accordingly. Because that's the thing is, you get a setback, you adjust to it, and you plan for it, and that's what Kahari Jones does. He's been just fantastic as far as taking any adversity that's been thrown his way and at least rolling with it, if nothing else. I mean, it's not perfect. It never will be perfect, but I mean, he's been able to adapt and change things as, as needed. And the results have been there. So we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll see who's going to back up uh, Stanback uh, this coming Saturday. It's going to be, uh, I think it'll be definitely interesting to see just exactly how they're going to respond to that. Yeah, it, it will be interesting. Obviously, we'll, we'll probably see the uh, rosters released probably by Friday, if I'm not mistaken. That's usually when we see it. Um, by the way, we had we still have to, for just real quick. We still have to give props to you know, my, you know, considering the the problems that the BC Lions are having with their O line. Uh, seems like it's funny. Seemed like one game without Brian Chu as their uh, as their coach seemed to I don't know seemed to make a, a huge difference because Riley basically stayed upright as he mentioned, except for those two sacks by John Bowen late in the fourth. Um, but you know, props to Riley. I mean, you know, he did what he had to do. He kept them in the game, and and uh, you know, Brandon Rutley we thought was going to possibly run all over us, but uh, him and uh, it's so almost as if him and Stanbeck went went back went and went head to head, literally, you know, not literally, but fig- figuratively. Um, mm-hmm. But um, by and going back to Stanbeck, by the way, yes, it was nice to see him get 15 carries. It seems that he's back to normal. I'm just uh, I'm just curious to know how what's going to happen. Uh, Again, how how the how the uh, how the owls are gonna you know how they're going to um, how they're gonna come at this game with with one less running back so far at least uh, a veteran running back on the roster. So um, props to the uh, defense, obviously, as I said, for Bowman, he had two sacks. Um, you know, Greg Reed, um, he basically made up for the, except for that one play that he had. He had six tackles. Uh, he led the team along with Bo Lacombo, who had the hit. Of the year, you could hear it in the stadium, man. You heard, and, and you, they played it over and over again on on TSN and, and the uh, and the uh, replay uh, package. Man, what a hit to, to that thing to just echo throughout the stadium. Oh yeah, I mean you you heard that, and I, like Matt, it, it sounds awful to say, but like nothing gets me jacked up more than hearing a huge hit like that, and and a clean hit, poor, and it was clean. That's clean as a whistle. Yeah. Abs- like you are not going to get a, a cleaner. So oh, I, I, I hesitate to use the word safer, but I mean, like he wasn't trying to kill Wayne Moore, believe it or not. But uh, Bola Combo just I mean, that was a picture perfect tackle. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the fact that it just re- the, the clack of the pads just reverberated throughout the stadium. And you can hear it on TV, too. Like oh, even know, watching but, the replay, like, yeah. oh, my God. Yeah, even, yeah, even the guys that you see, who is it with CC and it was um uh, was it was it Chris was it Chris uh, was it Suter who was who was in the booth? Yeah. So, yeah, it, for them to say something. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, and they've they've seen it all pretty much, but uh, for yeah. them to get up 
practice, I imagine they must have jumped out of their seat when they hear that a hit like that. It's unbelievable. So I mean, props to Bola Combo, man. He he has been such a, a he he has come as advertised. I knew he was going to be a disruptive playmaker, and he sure was this past Friday. He really not just laid the wood out on on guys, but I mean, he's just getting up there and being disruptive and make, helping this defense make plays happen. And that's exactly what you want from your safety, especially considering how he's had to step up and replace Taylor Loeffler. Uh, I mean, he he's done it, man. He has done a great job, and. It's just one of those things that you're you're just happy when these kind of things kind of fall into place. I mean, losing a guy like Loeffler is obviously tough, but to know that you have this guy waiting in the wings and he can step up and perform at that level, absolutely incredible. Yeah, we also get a props too for Antonio Simmons. He also was a he was tied for the league, uh, sorry for the team lead in tackles uh, last week. Uh, before we talk about our, our grades and stuff like that. Cliff, I have to ask you, what's your thought on Boris Spede? Now, I do understand that yes, that there, you know, according to according to the CFL, according to the CFL stats that we have in front of us, you know, the winds were uh, anywhere from northeast from twenty to twenty-five kilometers an hour. Okay, I get that. Um, but what's your thought? He really only got one shot at a field goal. It was in the first quarter. Uh, went wide. We had a single fourth, but then we had to punt because of a penalty. What's your thought? Because it really looked like the the wind. He did, he seemed he just seemed to shank the thing. It's again, it goes to our point where is it now time that the Owls really need to bring somebody in to at least get uh, to light a fire under his ass? I, I think at this point it it's so tough because we're getting into that that tough part of the season where like you've got to be focused. And right now, like yeah, it, it's it's been a trial, quite frankly, with Boris Bidet. I mean, I I like the guy, I really do. I I really want him to do well and. As far as his, his kickoffs go and everything like that, out, still outstanding. I mean, he still is doing the job for the most part, but it's just there's so much inconsistency. And that's the thing that bothers me is just hot and cold. Like and you just you just don't know from one day to the next just what you're going to get. And it's got to be troubling. I mean, but at the same time, too, like if you were to bring in another kicker at this point, you're just going to disrupt things even further. And then – it just feels like you're you're just chasing your own tail at this point. But so what, about it's, glo- what about our global player, though? I know we've got Enrique Yeni, and I just I still can't figure out for the life of me how you can't get this guy involved somehow. Like make like what's going on with him? Like is like surely he's he's in practice. He's he's doing kicks as well. It can't all be Bede during during practice. So I I just don't know why the, there's a reluctance to. Not dressed, like not have him dressed, and yeah. let him handle either punting or kicking, or let you know, like let, let these guys split duties. Essentially, yeah. I'm I'm still baffled as to why this is not happening. And the only thing I can think of is maybe he's very good at practice, but still is not quite adapting to the Canadian game. It's I'm I, like I I just don't know what to make of it. I, it's it it's just frustrating because. Especially too, considering the Alouettes did have Tyler Crepinia on their practice roster for a minute, and you look at the job he's doing in Toronto, and you're you just can't help but wonder what if, what if we just decided to take the chance, dress him for a game, and see what he can do. Right, but we and we've also seen too. And I'm sorry, you know, he's not. I, I think one of the biggest. Uh, Biggest things that the thing that the Alice have done in recent years is get rid of Sean White. Look what he's done. I'm sorry, you know, Bede is not a Sean White. Bede is, you know what? He, he is. Um, he's not a Terry Baker. 
And that that's going old school for the Alouettes. You know, these were guys were consistency. I mean, even even the you know even the kid in Ottawa. I mean, sure he missed his another field goal, but still, look at look what he was able to do. Especially with this, he won the game for them when Ottawa was here earlier this year. It's he's not Duval was a consistent kicker. He always had his chance his chance to come back and and make up for it. You know, obviously what happened you know with the thirteenth man, thirteenth uh, man Grey Cup. Um, but at least I felt that he was more consistent too. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe we need, maybe they need to just. But then again, you you can put in your global spots. See, that's the thing. It doesn't go against the roster. It doesn't go against the ratio. Maybe no, especially to maybe especially when you got. Out. I don't know. I like I said I, I wish I had a better answer for you, and it's it it's it's definitely frustrating. And I said I don't want to harp on the guy, but yeah, it's just we're we're getting to that time of year where. You cannot afford to make any mistakes. And again, when when he's on his game, Boris Bede does a fantastic job. Yeah. But then you get those little shanks here and there, and uh, like some of the kickoffs may not be quite where it should be. And uh, mm-hmm. also, too, these no yard penalties on kickoffs. Oh, are, that's frustrating the hell out of me. That happened here twice in a row by the same guy. I was like, dude, really? Yeah. I was like, come on. You do it one time, okay. Two times in a, on two consecutive kicks, come on, man! Get- you know the you know the saying: once is a mistake, twice is a choice. And uh, <laughs> I, I I can't help but wonder now, like like, the, like these are things that I, was, I, I, uh, I was, Jar- Jarner Jones, that's who did it. Jarner Jones, yeah. Uh, again, he's definitely a, a, a exciting young player, definitely explosive, but. You can tell. I mean, like it's he's still obviously transitioning, still learning the the nuances of the Canadian game, and you've got to give that halo, man. You've got to give them that five yards. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but wonder, like, just the way the special teams are are performing, like they're getting down the field way too quickly. Obviously, <laughs> not giving the not giving the returner a chance to even catch the ball because how many times have these been the fifteen yard no penalty, no yards penalties? Yeah. Because the ball's still in the air, and you're you're, you're right in this guy's grill. Mm-hmm. Like you cannot do that. No, I know, I know. But like, just how often is this being practiced in in in, in practice? Like, how are they? What are they doing to correct this? Is what I, I want to know. I don't. Uh, let's give our our let's give our our grades here because we actually do have an interview this week uh, with Quid Magnuson. He's a he is a a, a writer's insider. He also ha- ha- you've heard him on uh, on CKRM in uh, in Regina. And he's here to talk. He's going to be joining us to talk about uh, his, uh, his CFL career, his time as an Alouette, a little bit of insight, and also talk about the game this week. But um, uh, oh, let's give our—I say—let's give our our grades for this team uh, for the week. Uh, what was your? Uh, uh, what, what would you have given the uh, the offense for this game? Offense overall, I'd say B minus. Again, Vernon Adams did what he had to do. Like it wasn't pretty, obviously, but I mean he. Definitely was that spark. He scored two goal line touchdowns, led that drive to score, you know, to to throw for an, a third touchdown. Again, not pretty at all. Like the the offense was not pretty, but they they did what they had to do when they had to make plays. They definitely made the plays. But there's still a lot of those errors, a lot of those little things here and there. And again, I'm I'm still willing to chalk it up to coming off the bye week. The what that's the way the team just happens to be. And I, I have to believe it's going to be much better going forward. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll say B minus. Yeah, I, I was actually going to go with a C. 
um, because uh, they just it, they were too too streaky for me this past game. Um, you, you know, I, I, maybe I'm just so used to having this team just come out like gangbusters in the second half. Uh, but you know, it's true that they did what they needed to do in the fourth to to, to extend the lead and and, uh, and to win the game. But uh, yeah, for me, I, I, again, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to chalk probably chalk it up to a to a bye week, a bye week, a little bit of bye week rust. Even though I'm sure they would say that there was no rust, but still, um, defensive wise, what would you give them? Well, and here's the thing: like I found the defense was average at best. Yeah. I mean, they they actually again we can't overlook the fact that they did limit. BC to one touchdown and essentially three field goals. Uh, so, I mean, you, you certainly can't hate on that. But at the same time, it's, this wasn't the the kind of defensive performance that we've become accustomed to. And again, I'm I'm willing to chalk it up once more to this being the bye week and getting that rust off and yada yada. But uh, if I were to give a grade for this defense, I I would give it a C. Quite frankly, I mean, like they, they did some nice things. Uh, like I said, the, the fact that Bowman was able to get two sacks on Mike Riley was fantastic. Uh, Bolo Combo, he definitely did his job. Uh, but there's just, like you said, use the word streaky. And that definitely would have applied to the defense because yeah. for every one fantastic performance they turn in, there's others like just that, that piss poor tackling by Greg Reed uh, on the Brian Burnham touchdown. And I'm not trying to knock on Greg for this, but I mean, like, you got to be better than that, man. Like you, like his style of tackling is great, but as you see, it, it's not 100% effective. Yeah. Especially up, I mean, up against the wide receiver, like Burnham. That's the thing. Yeah. That's it. And again, I'm once again, it's one of those things like if I'm sure if he had a chance to do it over again, he'd probably wrap him up, a, try to wrap him up a little bit better as opposed to trying to you know be that heat seeking missile. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's, for my liking, there was just too many plays similar to that from this defense. And that's what just led to it being, it just didn't feel like that dominant, you know, disruptive playmaking kind of defense that we've become accustomed to over the past few weeks. Yeah, it just felt like again they were just doing just enough to get by, just enough to coast into like the games that really matter. I'm sure is how they some people would would, would want to call it, but they just they did what they had to do. But I mean, it just wasn't it wasn't what I was used to, what we've become so used to seeing over the past few weeks. So that's why I, I would give it a C. Uh, yes. Same here. Same here. And, and, and everything you said, same here. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, that's the, there's no, no, no way to like, again, you can't be mad at the fact that they, they got the victory. That was the important yeah, part. Is yeah, they yeah. got the win. And yeah. I, I always say ugly wins count just as much in the standings. But man, like, why would you put your fans through that? Like, why would you have them grit their teeth and wonder what the hell, man? Like, this is not the Alouettes <laughs> team we've been we've been watching these guys all all season. Yeah, and it's been wild, exciting, fun football. But this game was just it just felt kind of flat. Yeah, yeah. And okay, fine, they got the win. The ends justify the means. But wow, what a what a way to get there. And again, you you really hope that's all it was was just the bye week rust. And now they'll get back into it, and it'll be back to the kind of football that we've we've come to love over the past uh, well uh, past couple of months. To be yeah. honest with you, on the line with us now to talk about this week's matchup with the uh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders is one of uh, is a gentleman who used to play with the Montreal Alouettes all the way back in '96, and we want to talk to him about that. Um, but he is also an insider for uh, for the Rough Riders. You can hear him on CKRM in Regina, Mr. Quinn Magnuson. Hey, thanks for joining us, Quinn. 
Hey, how's it going, guys? Happy to have uh, have me on the show, and I appreciate you uh, giving me a call. Yeah, for sure, for sure, man. Um, uh, where, where should we start? You know, we'll start with the your, your history stuff. I mean, you, you you're in the league for uh, I think it was what mag, maximum six, was it six years, six teams. I'm trying to I'm trying to find your quick, quick stats here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nine years, nine teams. There we go. There we go. Um, yeah, no, it was five years, uh, four teams. Uh, I did end up kind of back in Winnipeg, uh, but it was it was short-lived just because of injuries and so forth and ended up retiring in 97. But I started my career in, in Winnipeg. I was drafted by the Bombers in 93, um, played there for a season, ended up briefly uh, in 94 down in the, in the Arena Football League with the, at the time, the new Las Vegas Sting Arena Football Team. Um, played with them for six weeks. And and then again, ended up interesting story on that. I ended up um, going to watch Saskatchewan Rough Riders play the Las Vegas Posse um, back back in the old American fo- you know football uh, days as far as the CFL goes. And I ended up running into Coach Ray Yock from the Riders on the field. And I said, Hey, I'm I'm more than more than willing to come up and play you know for the Riders if you need a guy. They ended up signing me late in the season, so I finished the season with the Riders schooled around in Ottawa in 95 and then ended up in Montreal in 96 after the team moved from Baltimore. That, well, yeah, so you've, you've actually seen it all because it's uh, uh, telling me about your, your, you know, your stint in the Arena League. We'll have some stuff to talk about off air because uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge proponent of the Arena League besides the CFL too. So it's, uh, I'm, I'm actually trying to – so you said you're with the 95 team in, in Las Vegas? Uh, I was with the 94 Las Vegas Sting uh, for the Arena Football uh, League. Basically, it was Arena Football League 2. So this is when they brought in uh, the sort of the second, uh, not the second tier, but they decided to start a second league um, uh, because the, the original Arena Football League was actually quite successful. And so they started Arena Football 2, um, which was a, which was another conference. And, and so I ended up going down there with uh, a former Winnipeg quarterback, Tom Porras. Who was the? Uh, they know he was well known as the singing quarterback. Yep. Um, this is a guy that was a, basically was an arena football legend uh, back in the, back in the early '90s uh, before he came up to the CFL. So him and I both got released by Winnipeg in early '94. And he goes, he's like Maggie. He goes, he goes, come down to Vegas with me. Come play some arena football. So went down to Vegas, spent six weeks down there playing with the Sting. You know that arena football league is is it's a great little league. It's unique. Um, it's all indoors. The fans love it because they're literally right on top of the right on top of the play. Um, you know, it's it's basically it's it's hockey, but it's football. It's played in a hockey rink essentially, as far as the size goes. And they've done a great job of marketing that. And I was I was happy to you know get a chance to continue my football career um, or at least stay in football shape until another CFL team came calling, and and that gave me the opportunity to run into you know Coach Jock and the Riders at the end of my season down there. So. It all worked out, and I, I appreciate you know the opportunity that I had there, and, and it got me back into the CFL. How was it? Because uh, I know anybody who knows football knows this coach really well. How was it? How was it playing for Babe Pirelli down there in Vegas? <laughs> coach Babe, that's awesome that you know that name. Um, you know, Coach Babe was—he's a bit of a legend in his own right. He had, he had a, a, a great career as a college football coach, I believe. He even had a little bit of time in the NFL, um, from what I remember. But just just an awesome guy. You know, the thing that I appreciate about Coach Babe is that, you know, the Arena Football League is a bit of a last-chance-you type of league in that, you know, it's a lot of guys, a lot of college players that 
you know, didn't get drafted, didn't get free agent trials in the NFL, um, you know, don't really want to play in the CFL. And so they see the Arena League as a jumping off, you know, platform to get some more game film. Um, but Coach Babe was awesome in that. He treated everybody the same. And after, after you know, five weeks, I told him, I said, you know what, Coach? I said, I'm not, I said, I don't really feel like this is the place for me. I said, I appreciate the opportunity, but I'm going to try and get back, you know, back up to Canada. Sure. And he ended up talking with Coach Yock and, 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 and basically, you know, kind of cemented that deal. So I really coached. Coach Bay was an awesome guy, and I really appreciate you know that what he did for me. That's cool. Now you were talking about at the very beginning about how unfortunately how some players' careers ended. As a player, how did it feel to have to to stop your career because of injuries? Was it uh, was it something you you've been fighting all of your career, or is it something that all of a sudden just popped up immediately? And and how did you how did you take it knowing you had, you, that you had to walk away? Yeah, you know. Um, unfortunately, my injury started in college. I, I had a, a torn rotator cuff. My second year of college, I started having back problems toward, actually, I actually ended up rupturing a disc in my senior year, just before my senior year um, at Washington State University. Um, I, had, I had had some, I, you know, I, I tore up my ACL in my freshman year at Washington State, so unfortunately I had a bit of an injury-riddled career. Mm-hmm. Luckily, you know, the Bombers did take me uh, in the sixth round, way late in the CFL draft in 93. And, and I was lucky enough to stay with the team because I was, you know, I was a really good long snapper for punts and field goals and obviously could play on the offensive line. Um, but, but still here and there, sustained little injuries during my career. And, and the, really the way it came down, guys, was this, was in, uh, in my year with Montreal, my final season in 96, um, I had been playing with basically a torn-up shoulder, ended up tearing up that knee again against uh, Ottawa on Halloween night, October 31st in 96. Um, missed the rest of the season, had shoulder and knee surgery in the off season, and at that point in time, Jim Pop, who was the current manager, uh, general manager of the Alouettes, uh, basically told me he said, "You know what, Quinn? He goes, we're not going to bring you back, you know, for the '97 season, but he goes, I'd be happy to, you know, try and trade you somewhere. You know, where do you want to go?" And I said, I said, you know what, I'd love to go back to Winnipeg. I've got a lot of friends there, like Walby and Jarrell and, and Troy Westwood, and the guys were still there. So he ended up trading me back to Winnipeg, I think, for a box of tape uh, and uh, and some poutine, and ended up going back to Winnipeg. Ended up going back to Winnipeg, but at the time, Jeff uh, Jeff Reinbold was the head coach there, and for lack of a better term, they really kind of screwed me around on my contract. My shoulder and knee hadn't healed as well as I thought, and and I had just gotten married and bought a house here in Saskatoon, and my wife was not really liking the fact that, you know, she didn't want to be married to someone who was going to be broken down the rest of her lives. Right. So we had a long talk about it as a, as a, as a couple, as a married couple. And, and she just said, she goes, I really think you need to, you know, end your career now before you can't walk. And at the time I was quite upset. I was, cause I knew I had a lot more years in me. I was only 26 at the time. Um, that, which is really young, but I, I, you know, four or five years down the road, it was probably the best decision for me because since I retired, I had two more shoulder surgeries. I, I've had both my hips replaced. Um, <laughs> I've had basically all in all, guys, twelve surgeries wow. of, of you know football-related injuries. So, five shoulders, a knee, a, a back, a spleen, both my hips replaced, a wrist surgery. Um, and I don't want to scare, here's the thing, I don't want to scare, you know, parents out there from putting their kids in football because I still believe football is one of the greatest sports in the world. Um, I just personally, unfortunately, had a lot of injuries myself. But 
Yeah, so it was tough to walk away from the game at such a young age. Um, and for a lot of years, I had a hard time watching football, watching CFL, knowing that I, I could still play with those guys. Mm-hmm. I knew I was still good enough to play. So it was a bit of a rough go, but I, I went back to school, got my degree, and, and uh, you know, I'm, I am where I am today, and I don't regret it now. That's fantastic. That's, it's just, wow, just that's so many injuries. I couldn't even think of myself having one, but the amount, the amount that you had, uh, Quinn, that, that's actually that's mind-boggling. <laughs> yeah, you're like you're like the six million dollar man. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm, except, I'm dating uh, myself with that reference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's you know what, and and every day when I wake up and I'm I'm a little stiff and sore and 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 feeling it. Like I said, I I don't regret leaving the game with what I did from a physical standpoint. Um, but it's it's yeah, it's, you know what? There's been a lot of documentaries on players, you know, after they leave football and the amount of pain they go through and the amount of painkillers they go through and so forth i've been lucky enough to try to find you know a way that works for me in terms of working out and keeping my body in shape and so forth and you know i I just realized you know when you mentioned all this today guys that i've been retired for 21 years now um which is 22 now which is incredible considering i don't feel that old um but it's 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 a it's a rough game i mean and they're doing everything they can to try and make it safer for the players and i think you know i think in a lot of ways that's working yeah now you talked about the Alouettes before, and we want to—we uh, we, want at least have to ask you about it, considering that there may be fans, uh, you know, fans that have been following the Alouettes since they came back in '96, and even before that, or even the newer fans. But we wanted to hear what what your thoughts were on this on this '96 team. You know, it was the it was the return of the Alouettes to to Montreal after a ten year hiatus. Um, you know, it was coming in as originally the Baltimore Stallions coming back to Montreal and obviously having to deal with all the rules that they had to start following again because it was a pure Canadian team. Um, give, give us some insight on, on what it was like to be a. What, we can't call it an expansion franchise, but we can basically say it's it is a return of a long, well known team to the uh, to the city of Montreal. Yeah, you know, it was it, it was a bit of a love-hate relationship, and I think people um, welcomed the team back, you know, not with open arms, it, with, with, with really more trepidation and hesitation, because, you know, this was a team that, you know, obviously had some absolute glory days in the 60s and 70s and early 80s, you know, and then they became the Montreal Concord, and they really struggled through that time. Um, you know, then the team basically, you know, disappears, and and comes back, you know, after they win the Grey Cup in Baltimore. And the thing with the, with the United States expansion experience um, is that it was probably the worst thing that ever happened to the Canadian Football League in in the history of the league. In my opinion, is is that American expansion, because really what it was, uh, Larry Smith was a commissioner at the time. It really was Larry Smith and the league's way of just getting money, uh, in, you know, injections and investors into the league, because yeah. I believe the expansion fee to get into the league at that time was $1 million. Well, that's chump change for a lot of, you know, business owners who want to just play around with a, with a you know, professional football franchise. I mean, we saw what's happened recently with the, you know, with the AFL and the XFL and so forth is that these leagues don't really work. And so it would really water down the Canadian, uh, you know, not the Canadian content, but because the American teams were allowed to field all American players, um, it didn't make them better necessarily, but it really watered down the league. And, and we as Canadian players, myself and my teammates who were the Canadians, saw this happening. And all it was was a big money grab because the league was suffering at the time. I, You know, the league minimum for a player was $26,000. That's, you know, there are bus drivers in the city that make more than that, that, than that at the time. 
Um, so it was it was tough for for Montreal fans, especially when you already have the Canadiens in town. Uh, and at the time, the Expos were struggling too. You know, why are we bringing another professional franchise in when we can barely you know get enough fans in the seats for the Expos? Mm-hmm. You know, what is CFL going to do? So. When we got there and we started training camp out at uh, uh, John Abbott College out on San Anne de Bellevue, um, nobody really knew who we were, where we were. They didn't care. Uh, we, you know, we were playing still back in the Olympic Stadium, which nobody wanted to travel out to and be in. You know, the big O, as they call it, OWE. And but we started out, we struggled. I mean, I think I believe that the year that team started out two and four. Uh, you know, or two and three, and 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 the thing that I noticed the most, guys, is that you know you have the Baltimore Stallions, Grey Cup champions from '95. That entire team came back for training camp in Montreal now, and they're being told we have to cut 20 of you starters because we have to have Canadian content. And this created some real tensions in the locker room during training camp. There were a lot of fights during training camp. Um, myself, even as an offensive lineman. <clears throat> There were two offensive linemen that were that were very good offensive linemen that ended up getting released from the team because they just didn't have space for them as far as Americans go. So now I'm coming in and I'm replacing their their buddy, their roommate, their teammate, yeah. and that happened in a lot of cases. And so that created a lot of tension. Really took that team about six or seven weeks to finally start to gel uh, and really start feel comfortably with each other. Uh, and start to win games, and I believe that season we ended up. I think the team ended up twelve and six, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. um, and ended up making the East final. But of course, Doug Flutie was with the Argonauts and 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 beat us two years in a row, ninety six to ninety seven in the East final. But the Alouettes as a team in that city, the the fans in Montreal and the and the sporting community in Montreal really couldn't have given a rat's ass about us. There, you know, there was maybe fifteen to twenty thousand fans, and when you put that inside a sixty thousand seat dome, it looks it looks empty. Yeah. Um, and that's and that's why the move to McGill Stadium was obviously the right move and, and a great move late years later. But that team struggled for the first couple three years of its existence, and I I really was part of a team that was just trying to find itself and find its place in the city. Having said that, obviously moving to McGill Stadium. Anthony Calvillo comes in and carries that team to, you know, I think six or seven Grey Cup appearances. It, it's it's a beautiful thing, and I really liked my time in Montreal. I love Montreal as a city. The fans, toward the end of the season, started to warm up to us and, and were awesome. So I, I can honestly say that that was probably one of the, the best seasons of my life um, as a football player was playing in Montreal, and I'm glad that the, you know, that the franchise has existed now as long as it has. I was a I, I was not actually a season ticket holder that first year, Quinn. I was a, I only became a season ticket holder in '97, and I've been one ever since. But I was there, you know at most of the games in '96, um, and I saw how the team actually had uh, how they were treating the season ticket holders because at one point they were giving away two for one tickets, and I'm thinking, man, if they're treating the fans like this, I can only imagine how they were treating you guys as players. Any particular stories? Because I, I have a love hate relationship when I when I when I say. Uh, Jim Sparrows and Michael Gelfand. I have a love-hate relationship when I say that. Any, how how was it being a player dealing with uh, the cur- those current owners at the time before the Wetnalls were able to, I guess, again, once again, rescue this team? Uh, yeah, you know, I I'll be honest with you. Um, I I think I think Spiros uh, and the ownership there tried 
tried to treat the players well. There wasn't there wasn't a lot of money to go around. I think Tracy Ham was probably making the most money on the team um, at the time, but there wasn't a lot of other money to go around. The thing that the thing that we felt, um, especially as the new Canadian players coming in, is that we were the ones that were taking the hit as far as salaries go, uh, and the American players were being paid were being paid better which obviously does create a, a division between the, the two sets of players as it is. It, it, it felt to me as a, as, a, as a Canadian Football League um, player, though, that it, you know when you have private ownership and you have these multimillionaire, billionaire-type owners, you kind of feel like you're a, it's sort of a bit of, it's a bit of a game for them. Um, you know, you feel like you're a pawn in a big game of chess that, well, if we lose money, we lose money. Who cares? You know, I've got my other businesses that make me millions of dollars. This is just sort of a, a hobby for me. Right. Um, and that's the thing that, that a lot of the Canadian players felt or players felt in general on these privately owned teams, especially by the ones that were privately owned by, you know, wealthy businessmen. So, I, you know, I didn't, I don't know if it affected the team's play on the field. I do know that there was some talk about it, but at the time I was still young. I was still 25, and I was just happy to be collecting a paycheck. And you got to remember, guys, the previous year I was in Ottawa, where we we had to bang down the door of the office to get our paycheck, yeah, um, because that team was getting ready to fold. And that's how I ended up in Montreal was the expansion draft. Ottawa folded. I ended up in Montreal's expansion draft, and and uh, so I, I I don't want to I don't want, I don't want to down spirits in the ownership, but yeah, there was that feeling of as opposed to, say, a Saskatchewan or, or uh, Winnipeg or Edmonton, where it's publicly owned, it's, it's uh, you know, this guy's just kind of playing with money and playing with a, with a monopoly piece, um, which, which makes you feel like, you know, how long is this going to last? But obviously it did last, and the Alouettes are, you know, a story franchise now. Yeah. Right, one last thing before we start talking talk about the game this week, Ren. How was yeah. it, you were talking about how bad the, 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 the um, how bad the, the crowds were in Montreal, and yes, they were bad. They were they were averaging less than nine thousand people a game that year, and, and as you said, it holds sixty k, and you're seeing not maybe nine. Uh, how did that make you guys feel as players? Well, you can only imagine. Um, you know, this is a Baltimore team that had just won the Grey Cup, uh, which the Montreal fans didn't care about um, because that wasn't their team. Right. So this wasn't their their Grey Cup champion team. This was Baltimore's Grey Cup champion team that had just been transplanted. Uh, so the fans didn't care about the fact that that we were quote unquote the reigning Grey Cup champs. Um, you know, a lot of the American players were wondering, you know, what the hell am I doing here in Montreal playing in front of 10,000 people when, you know, we were getting, well, they, even down in Baltimore, I think they were averaging 15 to 25 anywhere, depending on the week. But it was, it was tough on those players. It, it's, it's especially tough for, especially for any Canadian or American player who had come from American colleges we're used to playing in front of anywhere from 30 to 90,000 people. Yeah. And then you're playing in front of crickets, you know, in the big Olympic stadium where everything was just echoing. Like you could hear Tracy Ham calling the cadence from the line of scrimmage up in the, you know, top seats because there really wasn't a lot of cheering. There wasn't a lot of fans to fill the space. Um, and that's why, you know, after I retired and I, 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 when the team moved to McGill, I was like, thank God, because that team would not have lasted another five seasons in the Olympic stadium, the way it was, it was, it was depressing, but we had to keep reminding ourselves um, that, that we were technically, although I wasn't a part of it, you know, the reigning great cup champs. And it was, it was our cup to lose, you know, that following season, but it certainly wasn't fun to certainly wasn't fun playing in that few fans. No, no, I know what you mean. Cliff. Yeah. It's interesting. I've always wondered too, like how players felt in regards to that. Cause I'm sort of the opinion too, that, it's not 
our Grey Cup, like as a Montrealer saying like it's not our Grey Cup, but at the same time, you're right. This is the defending Grey Cup champions. So technically they're a mm-hmm. championship team, but we don't have a championship per se. Like it's uh, it's interesting to hear that perspective. I've always wondered how the players felt in regards to that. Yeah, and and you know, uh, and the thing is, so when you have the you know let's let's say the let's call it the, the you know the fifty man roster that was you know that was the Baltimore Stallion from nineteen ninety five, um, now half those players are gone, right? They either had to take roles as backups, uh, or you know who were previously starters the year before, or these were guys that were just getting outright cut and released during during training camp cuts. And so, so you know, the, the, the 20 to 25 players that were left from that Baltimore Stallions team didn't really feel like they were necessarily the, the, the defending Grey Cup champions because they had 30 new teammates. Mm-hmm. No, that's it's incredible. Just just thinking about it, it's incredible. All right, mm-hmm. let's switch gears here. We've got, a, we've got a football game to talk about uh, this coming Saturday. The Alouettes uh, yeah. come, come to visit uh, New Mosaic Stadium to take on the Rough Riders. Uh, Quinn, as... As an analyst and uh, observer of this uh, Rough Riders team, uh, I think it's f- fair to say that both the Riders and the Alouettes, I don't think people really expected things to go the way they have this year. And I can I, I say that in both a positive and maybe not necessarily positive light, but uh, just let's focus on the Riders here. What have you seen so far in 2019 that you just were not expecting at all when it comes to the on-field product? Well, de- definitely the offense in the play of Cody Fajardo. Um, this is this is a, a young quarterback that that I really liked when I saw him in his in his few you know appearances out in Toronto, uh, backing up Ricky Ray. I really liked his moxie. I liked uh, you know what he did, even though he didn't see a lot of playing time out in Toronto. So the offense has been a, a very pleasant surprise for Ryder Nation, and largely because. For the past two to three seasons, this is a team that has had good receiving core, um, you know, a solid offensive line, but never really had an answer for for the departure of Darian Durant. Uh, when Durant was let go by the Riders, and, and, and as he should have been. I mean, he was getting on in years. He had the injuries. He never really was the same player, and you guys know this because he was out in Montreal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, there was no succession plan for Durant being gone. And so the Riders, you know, toiled through a handful of quarterbacks and then finally settled on Zach Caleros, when we all know Zach Caleros' story. Um, so the biggest surprise of, of 2019 definitely has been the, the acquisition of Cody Fajardo, him being launched into the spotlight as the number one quarterback um, when, when Caleros goes down. But then ultimately being told you're the number one guy now because we just traded back to Toronto. Um, that's been awesome. I, Cody has been a, a great addition to that locker room. He's a, he's a leader. The players love him. Um, I think just in general the play of the offense. But I think the biggest surprise is is it took you know when you take a look at some of the uh, the the, the offseason acquisitions that the Riders made on defense. Micah Johnson, um, Charleston Hughes is in his second year. Um, you know, Solomon Elamimian, you know, guys like that, you expected this defense come out game one, literally just bath the flying and just taking heads off of people. And it took them probably the better part of the first five games to really find their identity. And that's something that changed, obviously, with, with the departure of Chris Jones as the head coach and his mentality and the, and the personality he brings to the team to a guy like Craig Dickinson, who is, um, a little more soft-spoken, a little more um, laid-back. Uh, players love him, but he's been basically a career special teams coach. Uh, that was the, that was the thing that myself and my colleagues talked a lot about for the first six or seven weeks was 
what is the identity of this rider football team? The identity under Chris Jones, you know, basically is, is the man in the black hat. I mean, we're the bad guys. We're the team that's going to run, you know, defenses you've never seen before, and we're going to play aggressive football. Uh, they just couldn't get things going on the offensive side of the ball. Frank Dixon comes in, and it's the offense now that's carrying the team essentially for the first, you know, four to five weeks. But when that defense finally started to gel, I think it was in week five, um, this is when this team really started to turn a corner. And and the defense, you know, okay, albeit not last week, because that was probably their worst performance of the year against Winnipeg, but this is a team that is playing well enough on in all three aspects of the game to make a Grey Cup run. The thing about the West right now, and I just got off uh, off the line with Derek Taylor from, uh, from TSN and Sports Cage in Regina, there is going to be a, a vicious three-team race for basically the three spots in the West for playoffs, Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, and Calgary. And we're going to see how this last six or seven weeks pans out. This is a crucial game for both Saskatchewan and Montreal this weekend. Um, the Alouettes are still chasing Hamilton. Um, they are a, 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 a you know wonderful surprise coming out of the East. We'll talk about that in a second. But the West is going to be a dogfight right to the end. And this Saskatchewan team now starts, has to start to prove that they can beat the good teams. They have to beat Calgary in a few weeks. They have to beat Winnipeg again in three weeks. Um, they need to beat a, you know, a really good Montreal team. They can't take Montreal lightly this weekend. So we'll see what happens. But I think the story of 2019 is definitely Cody Fajardo in that offense. Without question. And uh, uh, talk quickly about the, the Banjo Bowl. Uh, do you think this was just a blip on the radar as far as the, uh, the lackluster performance? Was it just uh, Chris Traveler just being living up to the hype, so to speak? Or what, what do you think it was that really made a difference in that game versus the game that was played on the, the, the week previous, the Labor Day Classic? Yeah, you know, I've been saying for a couple weeks about the Riders, um, you know, when is this bubble going to burst? Game winning streak. Um, you know, you beat, the, you beat the Bombers in the Labor Day Classic, albeit, you know, the Bombers were obviously banged up without Nichols and, and Harris, although it didn't seem to matter last weekend. Um, but this is a rider team that have been riding a high for six weeks, six straight wins. They win the Labor Day Classic. It was, it was, there was bound to be a letdown. There was bound to be that overconfident, um, we can just show up and keep doing what we're doing and win games. That was one thing that, that concerned me going into the uh, Banjo Bowl, and obviously I, I think that was part of it. The other thing was definitely what happened last week during the Labor Day Classic, which I guess you'd say a week and a half ago, um, number one, the hit on Chad Rempel, the long snapper for Winnipeg, that absolutely sent Michael Shea into into a, a very <laughs> very furious anger. Um, you know, as far as that play goes, and then also the fact that Winnipeg lost, essentially, you know, even though depleted, lost the game on a, on a last second field goal. I mean, Winnipeg very well should have won that game, and they lost on a last second field goal. So now you have a heavily motivated, angry pissed off Winnipeg team going back home. Now the fans are upset. It, it was a hostile environment for the riders to come into Winnipeg obviously had the home field advantage, even more so in investor group field um, the, you could see in the first week or sorry, in the first half guys, Winnipeg was out for blood. They were, they played probably one of their best halves of football and Chris Strebler, um loved this kid. Absolutely loved this kid. This is a kid that, that, He's the type of he's the type of quarterback that you that you as an offensive lineman. I remember you know being a player an offensive lineman when Matt Dunnigan was my quarterback. I would have ran through a, a brick wall for that guy. Same thing for Chris Strebler. Like this team loves him. He's a leader. 
he leads literally with his head, um, you know, and just motivates that team. So now you've got Winnipeg up, uh, you know, at nine and three. You've got Saskatchewan tied for Calgary with second place. This is this is incredible. Um, but that was definitely the reason why the Bombers came back and won this game. They were just far more motivated than Saskatchewan. And Saskatchewan was ready for a letdown. The thing that I think potentially as Montreal fans that the Alouette fans should be concerned with is the fact that now the Riders are pissed off. The Riders don't like to lose. They lost last week big. They're going to be in their own home stadium, and Montreal's got a big test ahead of them. Mm. Now, talking about this big test, uh, you've seen the the turnaround that Montreal has done this year, which is, uh, as far as we're concerned, nothing short of incredible, and I'm pretty sure you've got to be feeling the same way. Uh, what do you think is going to be the key for uh, Montreal? Like, what's Saskatchewan going to have to do to to, to walk out with a win, what's the one thing they're going to have to focus on and eliminate from Montreal in order to get the W this Saturday? Well, you know, it's something that Saskatchewan has done, um, you know, very well over these last six or seven weeks. Uh, Saskatchewan's offense is not a is not a quick strike offense. Um, it's not a deep ball, quick strike type, up type offense that's going to score in three to four plays. They have long control drives. Cody Fajardo is a, is a game manager. Um, he's very efficient. He's got one of the highest quarterback efficiencies in the league. And that really is going to be the key because I think the strength of, of, of Montreal right now is Vernon Adams Jr. and stand back the running back. I mean, those are the two guys that are really carrying the team from an offensive perspective. Um, don't get me wrong. I think the defense is solid. But if Saskatchewan can stay on the field and keep stand back and Adams and that Montreal offense off the field, that's really what, what's going to help them win the, with the game. Consequently, I mean, Montreal has to do the same thing. They, they've, they're going to have to put up, you know, 24, 27 points on the board to beat this Saskatchewan team, um, and they very well can do it, but, it, but they have to have long, sustained drives as well. So it's going to be, it's going to be a real battle. The thing, the thing that concerns me uh, on behalf of, of the Alouettes is that you do have a team that's been backed into a corner a little bit, and they're, they're out for blood, and they're in front of their home fans, and they're going to want to win this game probably a lot more then Montreal is going to try to, you know, fly four and a half hours to come out here and try and win this game. Mm-hmm. All right. And lastly, uh, I guess the big thing is uh, this year, the Great Cups can be played in Calgary. Uh, you know what happened 10 years ago. It was uh, Montreal versus Saskatchewan. Do you think realistically <laughs> this is something that could could hit, could history repeat itself in 2019? <laughs> Well, it was funny because uh, I just had this conversation on the on the previous show I just taped, and and one of the one of the things was, you know, I, I think Derek Taylor from TSN basically asked me. He goes, "Okay, if I give you a hundred dollars, who are you putting a hundred dollars on to win the Great Cup this year?" And I said, "I said if I had to be a betting man, and you and you're giving me a free hundred bucks, I said I'm going to be putting it on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. This is a team that that it's it's their due. Um, they have the team to win it." I don't see a Montreal Saskatchewan like there would have to Montreal would have to get a lot of help. Um, not, I mean, it feels like they're going to finish in second place regardless. Uh, I mean, obviously things can happen, but they are going to end up having to play the crossover. So you're likely looking at an Edmonton Montreal semifinal in the East, um, and a, and a Western team has never crossed over and won that game. By the way, never come out of the East at least. So. So Montreal now makes it, you know, into the East final against Hamilton. That's going to be an extremely tough game. If Montreal makes it out of the East, all the more power to them because they will have fought a, a, a long, hard road to get there. But I'm, I'm telling you guys, whoever comes out of the West 
is just going to be far too strong. They're going to be playing in Calgary. This isn't Anthony Calvillo's Alouettes anymore. <laughs> um, if the Alouettes make the Grey Cup, this is the, uh, for, I, I hate to say it this way, but uh, uh, an inexperienced Grey Cup um, appearance team in, in these Alouettes. If Saskatchewan makes it to the Grey Cup, if Winnipeg makes it to the Grey Cup, if Calgary, especially if Calgary makes it to the Grey Cup, those are three teams that in the last you know, you know, five to seven years have all kind of been there. They've all seen it. They have the experience. I just don't know if Montreal has the experience on their team um, to go to a Grey Cup and win it. And that Saskatchewan-Montreal matchup, highly unlikely, but this is the CFL. Whoever makes the playoffs has just as good a chance as anybody else. We'll never know what happens. That's true. You just got to show up and uh, and just be a part of it, and you just you never know. And that's part of what makes it so exciting. And that's why I, I love every second of it. So, uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I the more I think about it too, uh, the way you put it, it's like it's very easy for Montreal to get into that mindset of we're just happy to be here. And considering how this season started in Montreal, how 2019 itself started in Montreal, to see where the team has gone, where they've where they've come after yep. so many months of well so many interesting months let's put it that way uh for them to come this <laughs> yeah i'm i'm actually really proud of montreal what they've done this season because i'll tell you what the, just the appreciate what we've got and uh mm-hmm. yeah the, the basically it's it's let's put it this way I, I would suggest that two to three weeks into the season the majority of the, the cfl media and even the <laughs> the guys like us who, who you know do a couple shows a week here and there, we figured Montreal was going to be three and fifteen, not make the playoffs. It's going to be another dong show. Who's the quarterback? You know the organization is falling apart ever since Calvillo left. You know what are we going to do? I'm I'm super happy that the Alouette organization and this team has come to get six and four, um, and will likely make the playoffs. So that's great, and you never know what can happen. So that's that's great for them, but. You're right. They need to not go into the playoffs with the "Hey, we're just happy to be here" mentality. If they're going to win more than just you know one game in the first round, mm-hmm. absolutely. All right, Tim. Well, uh, obviously, we want to thank you for for coming out and uh, and joining us this week, Quinn. Um, greatly appreciate. We love hearing all your retrospective about about your career too. And uh, one thing, by the way, I'm sure Cliff and I can guarantee. I know the Alouettes are expecting to play 60 minutes of football this week. I don't know what the Riders are expecting to play, but I know Montreal's <laughs> expecting to play 60. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no shit. Sorry, oh, sorry, guys. Hey, you know what? Um, that's 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 the thing, and 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 that's something that that Ryder fans and Montreal fans will have for the season is that that lightning shortened game. Um, I, I guarantee you, uh, the, the weather is going to be nice on Saturday. Uh, it's going to be great for a sixty-minute full game. Uh, so let's let's enjoy it, and let's see let's see where the chips fall because uh, I'm sure Montreal is going to put on a put off a good match with uh, with the Riders here. Exactly. Now, hey Quinn, if uh, anybody wanted to follow you on social media, where would they do so? Yeah, they can go to Twitter. Uh, that's where I do all my CFL stuff. It's uh, QMags65, so QMags65 on Twitter, and uh, that's where I do all my posts and tweets and retweets and talk about the league and some other fun stuff. So love it to have a few more followers there. Great insight. That's all I can say, man. It's a great insight by Quinn. We want to thank him again for joining us on the show. Um, Surprised the hell out of me. And it was not planned finding about, and I know it always seems to come out, oh, Tim is Arena League stuff. Didn't have no (laughs) clue. None. None at all that he was going to bring that up. So so, so some football fan I am. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. But, Uh, yeah, but, but, But yeah, getting that type of insight was pretty cool. 
No, and yeah, uh, once again, thanks to, to Quinn for joining us. Uh, by all means, uh, especially if you're out in Regina or in Saskatchewan, period, you know what you're getting with this guy. Uh, you, you you get to hear him every Wednesday on uh, on the Sports Cage uh, with uh, our friend, uh, other friend of the show, uh, Derek Taylor. Uh, so, Riders fans, I mean, that's your guy as far as insight goes uh, for uh, this game and beyond. Talk to Quinn. Listen to the, listen to Quinn every Wednesday. He's on the Sports Cage. Hear what he has to say. Love it. Follow him on Twitter. What else do I need to say? That, that's it. That's it. Yeah, that's, all I, that's all I gotta say. Uh, oh, real quick before I we get to this last segment, just want to remind everybody that we are on social media. Uh, best place to find us is over on Twitter. That's uh, at a at excuse me. That is at Alouette FL Deck. Also, you can find us over at our Facebook page. Just to do a search for Alouette's Flight Deck. And also, if you want to find the entire history, the entire archive of the flight deck you can head over to www.alouettesflightdeck.ca or you can head over to google play music apple Podcasts, stitcher or spotify now one thing i wanted to i had asked i'd brought up before uh before we had the interview i just wanted to find out if there was anything post game because you were on the field again this past week uh after the game um anything uh, stand out to you from from who you spoke with and or or, uh, uh from from what you found out from anybody uh, well, again, I got to speak a little bit with uh, William Stanback after the game. And uh, I, as I said, folks, the guy is back. He is definitely back, and he's feeling like himself again. He's feeling like that guy that was busting out 200 yards on the ground against the Hamilton Tiger Cats, 100 yards against the Ottawa Red Blacks. He feels like he's back at that point. And if that doesn't get you excited, folks, I don't know what will, because you can tell he's – it was kind of, uh, I guess, the game against uh, the Argos in Moncton was kind of like just getting his feet wet, whereas uh, this past Friday against the Lions, I'd say he's back into it. I'd say he's back. I, I, I think we're, we've got Stan back, back now. So uh, opposing defenses should be extremely nervous because when this guy goes off, man, I tell you, he is without question one of the most exciting players in this league. And I also got to chat a little bit with our head coach, Kahari Jones, Uh just let, just to let him know that uh, those post game speeches that the Alouettes put on Twitter, absolutely love them. Oh, I mean, yeah, how, how do you not like you listen to those? And by the time you're done, you're ready to run through a brick wall. I told him this, and he he, he was laughing. He just thought, like, wow, that's I, I didn't realize it had that kind of impact. I'm like, coach, you you are a motivator. Like you've got this team right right where they have to be. Like like he's got the the mindset. Like he's pretty much told them to forget about the noise, forget about all the extracurricular stuff. And that's what we wanted this year. It was because Lord knows when this season started, there was all sorts of nonsense just sort of swirling around. And especially with all the upheaval when it comes to firing your head coach, getting rid of the general manager while the season's going on, that could sink just about anybody, but not Kahari and his team. I mean, like they have done a great job of just tuning out all of that extracurricular nonsense. And it's been absolutely wonderful to see. And I, I told him this. I said, listen, you've you've done a fantastic job. And we in Alouette's Nation definitely appreciate everything you do. And we can't thank you enough. And the dude is just so humble, so kind. Uh, how can you not be excited as, uh, just at the prospect of what lies ahead for the Montreal Alouettes? Just listening to Kahari talk, like not just in person, but also too. Like you watch those post-game speeches they give to the team afterwards and – Again, he gets it. He understands it. And he makes these guys understand what it's all about. And that's what you want from your head coach. You want someone that's going to inspire. He's going to you know, give you that kick in the ass if you need it. And just 
find a way to help you shine your brightest. And that's what Kahari has done, especially with Vernon Adams. Like he is, he recognizes the talent that's there. And look what Vernon's done. It, it's been nothing short of incredible. Look what this receiving core has done. It's been fantastic. This defense, nobody expected the kind of defense we've gotten this season. And I want to believe that a lot of it is just the fact that Coach Kahari is letting the defensive coaches do their thing. He knows what kind of studs he has on this team. Just let, let them do the work. And everything's going to fall into place. And that's what he's done. So, I mean, just, again, my hat's off to Kahari for the job he's done so far in 2019. And uh, he's also, I I don't think it'll be too long before we get him on the podcast, folks, because uh, he's got some stories to tell. I can tell right away. Like, I I think he's got a lot to say. There's a, and again, how can you not be inspired? How can you, as an Alouette's fan, not be inspired? Don't know what kind of a head coach is in place right now. And where the direction they want to take this team. It's just, it's awesome. It's really awesome to see. Yeah. Um, uh, more about the the game this week. I want to mention that currently, according to, to the Five Dime Sportsbook, the Alouettes are currently a, a seven-point underdog. Um, I, I'm, I kind of get that. I mean, they're, they are heading to Regina. You know, especially in the CFL, it's tough to be a, uh, a road favorite. But uh, the the over under is currently at forty nine and a half points. Um, you know, people need to remember too. The last time that the Alouettes went into uh, into New Mosaic, uh, I think Cliff, you were there, and they won. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and that was the that was the game that broke the streak. So it's uh, uh, let's get a little bit of revenge. As I joked with uh, with Quinn, uh, we know we're going to play sixty minutes uh, this time around. So uh, uh, let's. Uh, the, the team needs to get this win. I mean, it's uh, uh, it, it would be nice to just continue it and, and you know do a little bit of a run. I won't mind winning and winning and winning, right? <laughs> I, I don't think anyone would mind winning and winning and winning, uh, especially too. Like, I, I'm not one for like again. I can understand why a lot of people would want to put the asterisks on that Riders win in Montreal earlier this season yeah, because me, of the weather. Yeah, me being one of them. Oh, absolutely. And again, I I completely get that, but there has to be no excuses. I mean. It is what it is. That's in the past. And now Montreal has to focus on just proving. Because uh, let's not forget, too, during that game in Montreal, it was the Riders' defense that scored all the points. I mean, the Alouettes themselves had Fajardo limited as far as offense goes. I mean, it was just it was not the best best football being played from either team, to be honest with you. But now Vernon Adams is going to get get a chance to play because he was on the sidelines during that game. And... Again, once Vernon gets going, once that he flips that switch and gets it figured out, this Alouette's team is dangerous. So, uh, again, I'm not going to take anything away from the Riders. I know that last week uh, they kind of had their lunch eaten for them by the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be coming in to this game, too, uh, with a bit of a chip on their shoulder. I think Montreal's going to be ready for that, though. And I think this is going to be one hell of a match. I Again, not going to predict a winner or a loser. Obviously, we know who we want to win the match, yeah. but... Uh, I definitely think uh, this game has all the potential to be, uh, I'd say, just a real knockout, knock down drag-out fight. And, again, whoever can stay the most disciplined, I think, is the team that's going to win this game. Um, by the way, for, for those people who don't know, uh, Vernon Adams' uh, Cliff actually has started before and won before in Saskatchewan back in 2016. He was, he was, leading, he was leading the Owls uh, when they beat the, the Riders 19-14. So and and I was at that game as well. So holy crap, man! <laughs> you, you know what? Like 
I don't know why the team just doesn't get me on their 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 charter plane and just I'm clearly the good luck. Charter. Oh, why? <laughs> because they're saving the spot for me. <laughs> uh, touche, touche. Um, uh, we're looking. Uh, I'm hoping this is you know we all we all know the Owls haven't had a very good history when it comes to going out west. But the funny thing is, with uh, it seems to be pretty even over the past couple years when it comes to for the team heading into regina uh both teams are split down the line over the last 10 they're both five and five um so it this game should be fun it, again the owls just need to start they need to score some first quarter points again but the defense needs to make sure that they're able to uh um you know control the tempo of this game and and see if they can get to Fajardo. that's the thing they need to get to get to Fajardo and, and control that line of scrimmage so um what were the? I don't think there were that many, but any uh, any big transactions that came over the wire. Uh, well, it's actually going to be kind of interesting because um, in the lineup for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders is going to be uh, Chad Geeter. Is it Geeter or Getter? I think it's Getter. But uh, the reason why that's interesting is because the Alouettes just released him on Tuesday, and now he's going to be playing in Saskatchewan for the Riders this coming Saturday. So I don't know how many secrets he's going to have uh, and be able to share with the writers. But uh, yeah, it's just one of those uh, wacky situations where a player gets released. And then a couple of days later ends up uh, playing that same team yeah. in different colors. Yeah. Uh, as far as other transactions go, the uh, Alouettes did add a couple of players to the practice roster. Uh, Jarvion Williams, uh, running back from uh, Texas, San Antonio, as well as Javon Roland Jones, a defensive end from Arkansas state. Uh, Again, we're, we're at that point of the year where the, uh, the practice roster is starting to expand and uh, a few more names are going to be added to the list uh, when it's all said and done. And uh, from what I've been hearing, there's a couple of players that uh, Yellow West are looking to add. And if they're able to do so, I'll tell you what, folks, uh, you want to talk about the depth on this team? It's about to get real. And this is what they need to do. Like They need to load up. Like, that's what they did by going out and getting Chris Matthews, signing him to to a contract. Uh, bringing back Dominique Termanson. Like, these are the, the kind of depth moves that need to be made in order to sustain what this team has right now. Mm-hmm. And if they can get these guys, they get these guys in the lineup and they just keep adding to it, adding to the practice roster as well, just making sure you got the, the right people in place to, in order to be able to do that. And now they have. Now that they've got like the, the right uh, administrative people, I believe, that are going to appreciate what some of these players have to offer and just... Get them up here in Montreal, get them in a uniform, get them out on the field. Even if they're just on the practice roster, just get them a part of this team and get them used to that that winning mindset, that that mindset that this is not a, a dead-end destination. Like, this is a place where players want to play. Yeah. And, again, the, the results speak for themselves. Like, the Alouettes find ways to win. And that's something that we haven't seen in a long time. And I, I think it's just going to take something catastrophic for that to stop. And... I, I, I truly believe in my heart of hearts that Montreal is doing what it can to ensure that for the first time since 2014, there's going to be a home playoff game in Montreal. And the way that this way, way that things are going right now, Montreal is definitely on track to do that. So let's 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 hope that they've got it figured out. They worked their plan. They planned their they planned their work. Worked their plan. And I tell you what, Tim, I'm I'm very I'm feeling very positive right now about being at Percival Molson Stadium in November, late November, or mid-November, I should say, to watch an actual, honest-to-goodness playoff game here in Montreal. Yep, I know, I know. 
Um, want to remind everybody to, uh, if you are a season ticket holder, and if you have received the email about the new uh, uh, the new private event for members, um, do not forget that you have until the thirteenth to go ahead and confirm that you are going to be uh, at this uh, at this event. Uh, a couple of things starting at one thirty. Um, uh, tailgate, uh, free food, uh, special guests and players, uh, um, and a bunch of other things too. So it's, um, also if I'm not mistaken that next week's game, we'll talk about next, but just a reminder. It's all, I just found it recently because it's going to be uh, fan appreciation day and it's also bobblehead day. Don't forget your bobbleheads of, uh, of, of John Bowman. So, uh, that's one thing to think about, but again, uh, anybody who hasn't done it already and you want to go to this event, do not forget to uh, to confirm your presence by using uh, the link on your email that you should have already received. Uh, by the way, uh, before we go, Cliff, what was your thought, eh? Only two hours and 30 minutes for that game this week. That was, un- to me, that's unprecedented. Yeah, I mean, there is, I mean, it's funny too, because yes, there is penalties called. There was uh, a, uh- there was a, a review. The, the coach uh, Kari Jones did challenge. Uh, why? Uh, why on that one? I have no clue why. <laughs> because that one's usually it never gets overturned. Right. But and uh, also two injuries. They, they, there was a couple of players that got banged up on both sides. But I mean, they, they were pretty quick about getting them carted off the field. Uh, yeah, there's, there's just a good flow to the game. Like I mean, like even though it was. It felt longer than what it was, but I mean, uh, when I looked at the, the the final tally and see how long, short this game actually was, I was pleasantly surprised. Like, I mean, it, I guess maybe it just didn't have it didn't feel like it had that flow to it, but I guess it I guess it really did. So, yeah, I was I was I was obviously very very pleased. I mean, we we go in at seven thirty, dude, and we're out by ten. Yeah, I mean, still plenty of time to if you if you're one of those types that wants to go hit up the club, so I could go to Crescent Street and party it up. You're able to do so at a at a reasonable time. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Or, you know, if you want to go home and uh, watch the game on replay, then you can do that too yeah. and get home and play time. Do that. Well, the the world is your oyster. Exactly. Or at least it certainly was this past Friday. So uh, if you're not, if you're not going to watch the game at home, don't forget. I think the Owls are are they they're doing their uh, their thing at the casino again this week, right? Yes, sir. Yes. They are doing that, and of course, uh, cheerleaders will be there. Uh, I'm sure a couple of uh, players, either for practice roster players or even alumni players, will be showing up as well. So, uh, if you get a chance, uh, I would strongly recommend uh, go check out the casino and uh, support your Alouettes that way, folks. If you'd rather, if you, if, I mean, if you got the big screen at home, of course, I can understand why you want to do that. But if you want a, a different experience and just be surrounded by other Alouettes fans as well as you're hopefully cheering the team on the victory. I, I definitely would recommend uh, take a run out to the Montreal Casino and uh, support your Alouettes that way. Exactly. Uh, any other plans for the week, Cliff, besides the game on Saturday? Football is life, baby. I mean, like we got <laughs> NFL back. We've got uh, we're into the meat of the season for the CFL. Uh, college football. I mean, what a time to be alive. I mean, this is <laughs> this is truly the happiest time of the year if you're a football. If you love football at all levels, you're in your glory right now because you can. You can find football anywhere, and it's great. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, and I'm just, I'm just so happy to have football at all levels. It, like I said, what a time to be alive. <laughs> yeah, so it should be fun. So, um, obviously, uh, we will be back next week, um, and we hope to see you here, and so we can uh, talk about the lead up to a very another very very important matchup with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers with them coming to town. So, for everybody here. At the flight deck for Cliffy D, I'm Tim Capper. We're on final approach. Take off to the 
Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.